Hello, everyone. This is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Maribel Rivera. Maribel, thank you so much for joining us here today in this episode of Cassie and um, and if the audio is a little glitchy, uh, my my Wi-Fi seems to think it's Friday, so it's uh, a little aware. But Maribel Rivera, yeah. thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. Uh, it's really exciting, and I would love for you to tell the audience how we know each other and a little bit about yourself. Well, we know each other through the legal technology industry, right? The e-discovery-focused but I, will, I am going to give kudos to the brilliant and amazing and absolutely gorgeous Rose Hunter-Jones, because I think we met through Rose at a conference and became fast friends. Uh, we yes. have, well, like just our initial discussions were all about teaching each other things, learning about each other. And I think that was the most amazing. I think it was the Women in E-Discovery Conference, if I'm uh, not correct, but just correct me yeah. there. But I, believe I think you're that. right. Yeah. So we met there and have become fast friends. I mean, I am, you are actually my accountability partner. You have, you made sure <laughs> at a very early point that I was continuing to write because that was one of my goals for the year. And so I've been trying to keep up with that and be really good about it. And, and then a little bit about myself. I am a marketing professional. If had my own marketing consultancy since 2013. So it's going, it's going to be 10 years on September 13th. Um, so very exciting. And as to you. you. Um, and then in addition to that, I help run the ACEDS community. ACEDS is a Barbary global division, and we do certification and training in e-discovery and starting to focus on some other areas that all touch on e-discovery. And one thing I want to talk about, that conference we met at, we had an epic bonfire party <laughs> and also karaoke and we sang. And it was so much fun. I know you helped yeah. make sure that happened. So I think that that's a really wonderful memory burned into my brain in San Diego, yeah. bonfire and just dancing to all the old hits because there were a nice we mix of generations there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that shows you. I, it's probably my decades of decades of being on this earth. But music is a passion for me. I listen to it all day. I listen to all types of music, and I think we were such a nice mix, right? A diverse mix of women that it was awesome to see everyone bonding over various generations of songs. It was absolutely terrific, and and that's where I fell in love with such a huge group of women. It was great. Mm -hmm and karaoke make everything better. Absolutely. And, you know, eDiscovery has a lot of really strong women. And I, I think that's one great thing about being in the profession we're in. There are so many women that are really deep in the trenches in technologies. Yes. 
I agree. And so I recently became the, the special events director at Women in E-Discovery. I've been involved with Women in E-Discovery for many years. And I think since 2010, I think it's a, a great organization. It's been led by, founded by some amazing women and led by some amazing women. And if there was women who are working in E-Discovery who aren't involved, they should definitely get involved. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. But the focus of this episode is really about a more broad topic, which is AI. And even though you work with e-discovery professionals and legal professionals, you are at the core, you're a marketing professional. So, you know, I feel that all of these conversations about emerging tech, specifically generative AI, it seems very well suited for marketing, but Let's take a pause before we dig in that to that too much. We've been using AI in some form for a while, especially in marketing, right, yeah. Mary Bell? I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, I we can point to, and you're in, you do a lot in the beauty industry. You're huge on the beauty industry and what's happening there. And I would say one of the things that we see is predictive targeting, right? Across, I, I would say probably across all of those things is that predictive targeting has been used, right? Using explicit data or implicit data. We've seen that, right? How you can go to a website and it's already personalized towards you, right? You fill out a questionnaire. I can say, I recently started using a product for my hair because I have curly hair. The minute I went to the website because it was recommended to me, I went to the website and I filled out a questionnaire. And the questionnaire now personalizes. Every time I go to the website, it personalizes all of the information. But that's been used for years, right? It's way before we were using, we've been talking about generative AI recently, but way before that, there were so many other things that we were using. When you go to, let's talk about Amazon, right? Everything says you recently viewed, I get updates because you viewed this, you might be interested in this. So we've been using that AI for a long time and AB testing in marketing is also a thing. And that uses a lot of that predictive targeting. You mentioned beauty, you mentioned Amazon. Do you see more and more that's just going to be part of the core of websites where it's really starting to become uber customized and bespoke for the individual going to that site? I, I think it's important, right? Um, B2B and B2C are more and more educated and they're becoming more educated when they get to websites. And the more you can customize it, right? Creating a customer journey where you can say, okay, this person has never been to our website. And so this is what the website should look like. This person is located in this region of the world. How do you start to personalize the information they see? this person is returning to our website, what should they say? This person clicked on a particular link, maybe from social or an email, what page should they go to? How should the page look when they land on it? All of that, websites can be very personalized when you get there. It's all a matter of putting all of the AI in the background, right? And making sure that when you get to a website, it can be personalized for them. Well, let's talk a little bit about Generative AI. It's the bell of the ball right now. Everybody wants to talk about her. How do you see generative AI being used the most in marketing? 
I, I think because generative AI is a, it's a content creator. Generative AI is about creating content. So I see it being used in a various number of ways. So one would be to create blog posts or create uh, product marketing descriptions, product uh, names. You can use it for creating content calendars, right? Giving you suggestions on content calendars. Um, you can use it for uh, creating images, right? Now creating more customized images for your website, for your marketing materials that you're sending out, creating marketing collateral. All of that is a way for you to use generative AI and when it comes to marketing. And what tools are you yourself using for, for those kinds of things? So I will say my top favorite tool is probably Grammarly. And Grammarly has it actually can tell you using AI, it goes through and tells you what kind of voice do you want to use, right? Is this a business? Is this an email? Is this formal, more informal, neutral? Is the person you're sending this to knowledgeable or are they general audience? And so it will look through your content that you've created and say, okay, because of the, the tone of the voice and what you're using this for, these are the corrections you should make throughout. And now they've also built in some additional AI tools within uh, Grammarly to show you, okay, maybe this is a suggestion where you can change the text or maybe you should edit this or however, different types of things. The other thing I use is a lot of my clients were using video. So we do a lot of transcription for various videos that we do for webinars or for other things. An example is for UF Law, we're going through and creating an ebook. And so through that ebook, we had to transcribe all of the sessions from the conference. And we went through, I used a tool called Happy Scribe, and they've built AI into it where it will say, tell you, if you're going to use this for YouTube, here goes a description. Here goes the chapters. Oh. You can use. So it breaks it all down for you. The other one I would say would be Veed, V-E-E-D.io, which is video creation. And it uses AI to edit the video for you and take out all the O's and ah's and ums from the video and also gives you suggestions. And then there are tools also, some video tools where they will clip everything within the, the video to give you short pieces that you and recreate it for YouTube or for Instagram story or for a TikTok. So now you can take that content very quickly without having to do a ton of editing and move that into put it on your IG stories or your Facebook stories and everything else. So I'm using a lot of those tools because I'm a small consultancy and I've got three three or four people on staff, we try to automate and use AI as best we can within the limits that we have. I, so for the audience, I will get all of these from Maribel and we'll have that in the podcast notes. And I definitely want to try that out myself because I'm currently recording this podcast. I'm producing it all myself. It's all of it, like the coordination and the prep and the recording is with Riverside and then I edit and descript and I, and then I create promo materials using Canva and then CapCut. 
I'm still yeah. manually doing it. I find that the script, if you use the AI tool that will automatically cut the uhs and the ums and the, and the junky phrases, it gets a little bit too choppy. So I will still use it because it will highlight those words for you. And then I'll go and just manually remove them, but still listen and undo if it makes it too choppy. So do you find that the tools you're using have a workaround for that or account for that? Or is that something you still have to manually go in and tweak? I think it, it also depends on the tool, right? Some tools might be better than others, but I think there's all, always, right, for, and I think we're going to talk about for that authenticity, for you knowing there might be something that you have to manually go in and edit and fix. And another tool I just started using is Discord and Midjourney, right, for imagery. But even Canva, like you mentioned, I, I love Canva. I think Canva is an absolutely amazing tool, but I use more Adobe, which also has now included AI into a lot of it to remove backgrounds. You can just click on a button instead of it was a tedious task before in Adobe to try and get a background out or do anything. And now you can, at a click of a button, do, do certain things. But I think even with, if you think about Canva, trying to get an image of a person, right? Or exactly what the image would look like. AI still doesn't know how to give people five fingers that all look alike and not all, yeah. not all pinkies, right? So those are, there's certain things <laughs> They'll have to think about because AI is not perfect, just like any human right. AI is going to have its issues. So I thought cool. the hands are a tell, though it's much better, but also the iris, the eyes to me, yeah. you can usually tell in the eye, the quality of the eye. I think the ears may be another space, but, and, and I, you know, I think that that it's always something. Yeah, well, I mean, think about sometimes animated objects it, in Canva. Canva is probably the worst at it. But if you ask Canva to do something specific, it isn't always easy to get maybe a key with a lock or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, for e-discovery, you can't ask Canva or any, I'm going to assume, <laughs> no. to say, hey, I need a background with different types of documents and data, it's not going to give you what you want. Right. The one thing that I really loved, I was playing around with a Canva text to image tool and I asked it for, I think it was like female attorney looking out a window and yeah. all of the attorneys were minorities. And I was like, this is amazing. And they were wearing pink. And I was like, this is amazing. I love this. So I was like, kudos to Canva. It's they've really like diversified their training set and their, their outputs. I was kind of impressed with that, but yeah. tell me about how that mid journey journey is going, because I've not dipped my creative energies towards it because discord stresses me out and <laughs> it is a different, it is a different way of in engaging with, with a platform. I've, I've been on discord for some of the web three groups I'm a member of to engage from a community standpoint, but not to create content. So what was that learning curve or what is it like for you? It's an interesting learning curve. And the reason, so I've got a mixed feelings about it as well. So I will say one of the things So I went to, I didn't go to college first. I went to business school and in business school, I learned to code. That was one of the mandatory classes I had to take in business school was learning to code, which was very early on. 
I can't even tell you, it, it was one of those big square computers that I learned to code on. And how long beige. ago? <laughs> beige. beige computer. He just drive. <laughs> so I learned to code on that. And it was like very, very basic coding. And recently, Vasu, uh, Vasudeva Mahavishnu of Ultimatum and I were having a chat and he took a few of us and he was like, I'm going to teach you Python. And we were like, okay, I want to learn Python. That's great. So Discord is also one of those where you've got to do some prompt creation, some learning how to do those things. And even with ChatGPT, I've been learning how do you create a better prompt? What are the, how do you create a good prompt? Because even in ChatGPT, and I think this is where we're going to see a, a, some roles where lawyers and other people can become better prompt engineers, right? That's going to be a skill set and a role that we're going to see. And even more in marketing, right? I think you'll have some good, as you build AI into the tools you have into your marketing stack, you're going to need some prompt engineers that work on your team to help create and evolve that out. And I think learning the Python and having a background of a basic coding and also going into Discord. And it was once I went into there, I was like, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? This is like all over the place. <laughs> it's information overload. That's what's stressful about it. It's it, it you are completely overstimulated, especially if you're a member to a lot of different servers and like. The default is you get alerted to everything. I have to shut down to be able to survive <laughs> this. So yeah, I already have six different email boxes and 30 social media tools that manage. And I go into Discord and I'm like, oh my God, what am I, what have I walked into? I've just, this is like a, a landmine that I've put myself on top of. But it, once I knew like the kind of the basic kind of things, and I just started using it. I know some people have thrown themselves into it. I have just started using it as a marketer because I, I knew it was something I needed to understand. And for the people that work for me, right, um, on, on in my marketing consultancy, for the people who work for me, I want them to understand that. And for me to understand if they're telling me something, how are they using it? What are they using it for? I want to be at least some basic knowledge of that and be able to speak to it, even if it's foundationally, right? Even if it's, okay, I understand what you're telling me. We're so alike in so many ways. And I, it's something I want to get into. I want to jump into because I feel very intimidated by it. So I'm like, that means I definitely need to try and figure it out and play around with it and, and just see what that's like. It's uh, We're engaging with online apps in a way that's different from the way we've been doing it for you know 10 or 15 years. And that learning curve is hard, I think, especially for those of us who we're just learning this stuff in our free time. We're not where our free time is very limited. So I think that's another just the uh, scarcity of time is a huge challenge to learning all of these things. But you talking about prompt engineering, it makes me think, do you, it's very common in e-discovery that you negotiate kind of the scope of what you may have to review and produce. We may at some point be negotiating search prompts and not search terms. So you just never know the way our profession will go. But 
Do you see, you know, as we start looking at, we're kind of in the wild, wild west of using these tools. I think there are individuals just jumping in and playing with it. But I think key to marketing is staying on brand and making sure there's a unified vision and strategy for a given company or project or campaign. Do you see having prompt engineering guideposts as part of a style guide for marketing departments out there? I definitely think that that needs to be something, right? Because even within a prompt, you need to understand what are the voice and tone that you're using, especially given we have so many different, let's look at the different channels, right? The different marketing channels, right? Omni-channels. Companies are not using one channel anymore. They're omni-channel marketing company, marketing departments. So you're using email, you're using Instagram, you're using Facebook, you're using LinkedIn. There needs to be, if you're going to be using AI, you also need to know how your voice and tone is, right? In a style guide, right? A brand guideline always has, here goes the tone, here goes our values, here goes our mission, here go the things that you need to know. Not just here goes how the fonts we're going to use, but you also need to know the tone, right? What is the tone of everything? What is the, are we using first person? Is it you versus your organization? However it may be, how are you using those things? Are you saying customer versus you? Like those things are going to be important. And when you create prompts, you need to understand that as well. So you need to have that, right? Even for a website, you need to understand how, what's that going to look like? So I think that understanding that is going to have to be part of your style guide, creating prompts. And maybe it might not be in your style guide, but it's going to have to be in your, in your SOPs. Yeah. Uh, I love it, SOP. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And this is the perfect time to start building out SOPs because there's a huge training component to using these tools because there's a lot of talk about using it, but no one's really talking about like, how yes. to actually engage with it. So anyone who's out there and they're being the leader in their group, of course, company approved use of generative AI, think about how you could help your colleagues out and build out SOPs. Because I think that there isn't a lot of information online about like step one, step two, step three, step four. It's just, it's great. It's horrible. Or this is what I was able to create. But I think people are really intimidated by it generally. And if you can create those SOPs, it helps demystify. And also it helps make sure that the, if you're using it in a corporate setting, that there's consistency in that work product. I was 10 years with Nortel and we were we were on the Canadian Stock Exchange. And we so being there, I learned as part of the team that worked on ISO. And so being there, we had to have SOPs for everything there. You had to write everything down and understand it. And I think also as you grow in your role, putting those, even for your, this is how I do things in my role, having that standard operating procedure and showing people who might need to step up into the role so you can step up into the next role. That's important, right? It's great to hear the SOPs. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing this. And I think that's important. Yeah. And it creates scalability and everything. I just think it's really, I love, yeah, love an SOP, but if your company is allowing you to do certain things, you can create the SOP, right? Understanding that you should not use uh, chat GPT for it, because there's things within there that should not be in chat GPT. But 
Right. Um, can use an LLM of some sort to help you create those SOPs if you need to. Or yeah, I know that there are some there are some website or tools or apps, and I've not like investigated it to see, and it may not be past security muster for some companies, but there are some apps where you go and do the action. You go and edit, record and edit a podcast episode, and I'm sure it's seeing what you're doing. And then it will actually create an SOP. And I'm sorry, that's my dog in the background. So if you hear that, <laughs> it's Zuzu. But anyway, there are some tools in that. That might not be something that everyone would be able to use. It may not be sufficiently secure for your company. But just be aware that if you're just on your own doing hobby things and you want to create maybe like YouTube con how-to content, that might be a great tool for you to use. The world of AI is the world continuing of to grow. It is talking about tools like that. There are tools even for like product demos now, right? If you want to provide a product demo that will actually just help you create it. I, I have just been investigating a, a tool called Walnut. It's walnut.io. And they help you to, using AI, create product demos so that it can help you with your sales team providing less boring, less, more interactive product demos so that your potential customers are actually seeing the information and playing with the information instead of just hearing you roll off all the information right. that they have. So I think there's other ways to use it as well. And I think like probably customize. We were talking about customization early on. I know whenever I worked for a company that had a proprietary software, I was in charge of demo scripting and training. And that was all done manually. And it, we took a lot of time and effort into it. But we also, how can we break this up for the needs of a given client? We can customize it in essence. We did that all analog style, but I could see you have an in, intake system for your demo and what are your pain points, potential client. And then that could feed into your demo AI tool to help you create bespoke demos for, for your potential clients. I mean... Yeah. And we all have limited time, as we were saying again earlier, and giving people really what they need, I think it's vitally important. It's going to become, right, with this new generation, we're seeing more millennials, right? We're seeing the next generation coming up as well, fast. Gen Z, Gen Alpha, yeah. right? So, yeah, they're going to get into the workforce. And with more millennials already asking for work-life balance, and you're going to need to automate, you're going to need to put some AI tools in place. If you are afraid of AI, this is not, this is the time to become unafraid to use it. You need to understand it because millennials are all in. They're going to use it. They're going to be in, in there. And uh, also because the work-life balance, because people want to spend less time, no one wants to be in the office from nine to nine anymore. People want to, not even a nine to five, they want the flexible hours. They want to be able to get in and get out at whatever time. And we're gonna see millennials and the Gen Z are gonna want that more. And so they're gonna use more mm -hmm. of those tools. And so you need to understand those tools and put them in place. And marketers have to understand it as well because your customers are using it. And right. your competition is using it. And so you need to go in and, and use those things. Zuzu completely agrees with you. I want you to know that. So 
Uh, and I, I think you're right. I think <laughs> clients are going to push for it, but I also think new talent. If we think about it from the law firm perspective, I wouldn't be surprised if we have, if there are incoming law students who are at the top in their class and they, what may be the thing that drives their selection on which law firm to go to is, are they using cutting edge technology? Because that's what I'm interested in learning. So they may have gone to Professor Bill Hamilton's class where he's, let's go all in on all these different tools. And they're coming to your law firm and saying, why are we doing these things? Absolutely. Professor Hamilton, what an absolute visionary, just vanguard of the legal education system and really brings in practical discussions with students. I, I really love, I think it's incredibly important. What a wonderful person. Yes, absolutely amazing human being. But I think it's important, like you said, I want to have individuals who work for me. I have a very young young group of individuals, men and women who do graphic design and social media marketing for me. And I want them to understand these tools. I want them to understand the good and the bad of them and and how we can implement them, right, in a safe way to be able to do work in a better way for our clients. Do you find that they fear generative AI because they think it's going to take their jobs away? Or do they realize there's still going to be a need for someone to polish the end product to get that authentic voice? I think that they are, the group of individuals that work for me are not afraid that their jobs are going to be taken away. I think they are all in on learning and knowing that they should have additional skills, right? How they analyze social media marketing, how they analyze email marketing, how they analyze all the web website traffic. Data analytics skills are going to be something that people are going to need because you still need to understand the data. Even though AI can generate it for you, you still need to understand the data, right? And present the data. So you need to, that is a skill that you're going to need to build. And I think they also know that the more they can understand it, the better they can use the AI instead of saying, this is going to take my job. I mean, mm -hmm. in, name me a century where we did not see some type of technology that came through and took some jobs, but all of a sudden other jobs came about, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. and, and we've been using robotics, AI robotics for manufacturing, in a, a lot of ways, it's not all manual or else our iPhones would be $5,000 instead of a thousand. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Yeah. It would be a lot more expensive. And I think that's a great takeaway of this is just the cycle of innovation and you got to roll with it. It's it, yes. just ignoring it. It's not going to keep it from happening. And I know I've always tried to follow the technology because I feel like that's just a smart strategic move and yeah. it gives you better options in the future. And I think encouraging others to do that. And I do think that they're looking at the legal profession. I do feel that there is a more open attitude towards it than maybe whenever TAR, Technology Assisted Review, came out in the litigation space. I think there is more interest broadly. What do you think, Maribel? Ooh, I think that's I was just talking to somebody and they were like, there's a difference between tar and generative AI and using those. And I said, well, a lot of people didn't use tar. 
And we've seen surveys where a lot of companies were like, oh, we're not using TAR because mm-hmm. of the results that it provides. And it's only a small batch of, of documents that they were using it on and other things. But I think you can use, you can mix TAR with generative AI and figure out how to make that better. Right. There are companies that are doing it and but you should understand it. You should understand how it's being used. Um, And I think that's always the case with anything. Right. If you're going to implement something, any type of technology, any type of tools. Right. You can't just use a chainsaw without understanding what the tool is. (laughs) I think that works with everything. I think that's excellent advice. And I know we're getting towards the end, Maribel. We could talk forever. I know we could. But I would love to hear your kind of closing comment or word of advice to young or old marketers out there and how they might consider using generative AI. I think there's some benefits and some things that you need to be aware of, right? Using generative AI we can definitely use it for lead identification, for A-B testing, for SEO strategies, personalizing outreach, hyper-personalized like sales training, customer journey maps, automation of workflows. I can go on forever on the ways that as a marketer <laughs> we can use it. But I think there's also things that we need to be aware of, right? The data privacy concerns, the accuracy. We should always be checking everything. It's the same with humans, right? Someone else on your team could have done something. Are you checking it mm-hmm. for accuracy? Is someone else looking at that? So accuracy is, is important. Cost. Generative AI is in everything, but the tools still cost a lot. Even your marketing stack can end up being a lot of money depending on what you're using. And for, for startups and for other small consultancies, it's not always easy to just lay out all of that money because a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you're relying on the ebbs and flows of your revenue. So I, I think that's something to keep in mind if you're a small marketing. But even with larger ones, what's the cost that because you have to, at the end of the day, still show ROI on all of your mm-hmm. marketing? on everything you're doing in marketing. It's how is this generating revenue? What are the KPIs that we're generating from? I think we have to think about that as well, right? It's the initial training phase for generative AI is a lot. There's an environmental, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of power, right? So that's something we need to think about. And I think there's the other two that you and I talked about that we see probably more so in the beauty and health industry is like bias and ethics, right? right? Mm -hmm. Those are the things that we need to understand as well. So as marketers, we need to educate ourselves. LinkedIn has courses on AI. We should be, Coursera has them, edX has them. We need to go in and understand these courses, to take these courses to understand the impacts that we are. I am a, a, a member of the American Marketing Association. So I go in and I read everything that they provide on generative AI in marketing and anything that comes across my email inbox about AI and marketing. I am voraciously going through all of it to understand what are the things, the good and the bad about it. And I think that's the, those are the important things, but I, we shouldn't fear it. We should under, try to understand it, get a basic understanding of it, or learn more about it, 
and then see how do we need to implement it into the things that we're doing in sales and marketing. And it all just comes down to strategy, right? You have to have look at everything with a strategic lens. You you just trying it out and, and incurring that cost without really thinking about the benefit, the cost, and how you're really going to use it and create efficiencies from it. That's maybe not the best way to go. But I think that advice to learn, to understand, to be prepared, to have those key KPIs in place, to validate onboarding those systems are incredibly Valid yeah. and important, Mary Bells. I thank you very much for joining this episode of Cassie and Mary Bell, and also Zuzu. Let's just let's be honest here. Zuzu yeah. was part of this episode. I know I learned a thing or two from you, and I'm sure my audience did as well. So again, thank you so much for joining us, and to our audience, thank you for joining. And I hope you stick around for the next episode of Cassie and.